Six years ago, Monkwe and Dosi joined us to talk about Hub and Spoke, the concept that communities of color, the Spoke, are constantly living in relation to the dominant white culture, the Hub. Today, we pick up where we left off focusing on solidarity between our communities. This is Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Don Eubanks, Associate Professor in Social Work at Metropolitan State University and Cultural Consultant. Anthony Galloway, Executive Director of the Arts Us Center for the African Diaspora and Senior Partner at Dendros. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General for the State of Minnesota. Any comments and concerns and thoughts that I raise are solely my own and should not be attributed to my office. And I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group. And we have a special guest with us for this podcast. Um, Six years ago, we recorded a podcast that we ended up being named Hub and Spoke. And this individual was uh, kind enough to come back and rejoin us. Um, And her name is Mon Kwee. Sure. Um, Yeah, my name is Mon Kwee Ndosi. I am an artist, a musician, and culture worker in South Minneapolis. And I do a lot of work uh, with embodied practice inside of transforming how we are with each other. So six years ago, we had a discussion in in a, one of our podcasts that we ended up calling Hub and Spoke. And in that discussion, we were talking about how, how all of us, regardless of from which ethnic community we come from, ethnicity, racial group, whatever, however you'd like to define that, how I think we were talking about our interactions and our discussions but how they all kind of center around kind of to and from the dominant culture. Yeah, our everybody's our relation various relationships always in relation to whiteness, always in relation to dominant culture. Exactly. And 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 I think that, you know, during that discussion with that term hub and spoke, that that for me kind of just conceptualized and pulled that idea together. And, you know, that, it, I, I, that was one of our, I thought, most thoughtful um, podcasts because I actually used that particular podcast in the comparative racial and ethnic analysis class I teach. And, and, um, and one, of the, one of the aspects of that, I, I think the, the insights that the students get from the discussion they can relate to. What confuses them was the name, Hub and Spoke. <laughs> and so I actually had students write in their paper that they tried to look it up online or, you know, look it up to see what the exact meaning was. And, and then I'd have to explain to them that it's a metaphor, right? It, it, it's something, you know, and, and uh, but that was such a powerful podcast. And um, so I'm hoping that in our discussion this evening that we can continue along that line because I know one of the one of the interests or one of the topics that I touch on or bring up in many of our discussions that I think is difficult, you know, when we talk about having difficult discussions, I think one of them is this ability or sometimes inability for us to have those cross-cultural conversations, much needed conversations. And 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 yesterday there was a powerful incident that happened in, in New York, and I don't remember which borough. Was it Brooklyn? I'm not quite sure. But there was an incident where a 68-year-old elder Asian woman was um, assaulted. And what broke my heart when I saw that video clip was that she was assaulted by a 30-year-old black male. Just, you know, it was crushing, emotionally crushing. And, and I think that that uh, when I see that kind of hurt and pain that is kind of bilateral between our communities, it it's a sad thing. You know, it's painful to watch. And I didn't mean to start us on such a somber note, but, but, you know, that's why I think this discussion is so important. 
And and so just to bring that that visualization back, um, you know, um, Monque, you 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 described thinking about a wheel that in 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 a bike wheel that there's a centerpiece and then there are these spokes that go out to the larger frame. And a lot of times we end up into this discourse, uh, con- and into this discourse interculturally, interracially, but all of it seems to be in singular relation to dominant culture, which makes up that outer wheel. And ra- and you raise an important question about what would happen if those spokes worked and talked to each other instead of always talking in relation to our relationships with dominant culture. Um, and so, you know, in, in six years, you know, what is some of the some of the the insight that you've had around some of those ideas? That practice and uh, the nuanced truth is very important and very useful um, to building solidarity. Mm. Like we have to have compassion for ourselves and our people and know that often we take out on other people's bodies something that we wanted to take out on somebody else that we couldn't. Do you know what I'm saying? So, Mm -hmm. and is often the, you know, the reflection or or the uh, effect or the, the reasons that the violence, sometimes the violence is happening um, has to do with a lot more that happened way before and is coming from a lot of hurt and pain as well. Because, you know what, uh, I don't, I'm so bad at the attributes, but like hurt people, hurt people kind of situations. Mm. Um, and that without, that if we are only looking at ourselves or comparing ourselves with dominant culture, um, with current uh you know, white supremacist culture or with white culture, then we will miss um, the relationships and actually dealing with the hurt that we do cause each other, you know, which is part of it. And also the ways in which um, members of, of our community have always had a, a history of solidarity. Um, clearly the anti-Asian um violence that's been happening around the country has not only been happening from white people. Um, And the incident in New York is not the only um, example of that. Um, And I also recognize the sometimes slowness of, I can speak about black folks, to just be right in there talking about it and saying this is wrong, um, having to do with a feeling of being left alone uh, when it, by the Asian community when uh, Black folks have been um, brutalized and the consistency and ongoing nature of, of brutalization of Black people. And so it becomes difficult uh, so the, the I think it's important for us to understand the nuances of what's happening at the same time as I also talk to my friends about how I, I understand the bitterness or the hurt feeling that's behind the slowness to speak about it. And I also bring up the long history of Asian solidarity with Black folks, the radical Asian people in all of the communities um, being working in solidarity with Black people, and also the survival situations that come in for immigrant, looking at the first and second generations of immigrant people, and and the hub and spoke nest aspect inside of of that when people come to the country, come to this land, um, with a vision of us of this country and what happens here primarily through a white lens. And generally thinking of it as a place, because I am I feel like I'm a hybrid, I'm an African in America. My father was East, an East African immigrant. My mom's mm. Black American from St. Louis. And so the desire to stay under the radar, to 
um, not risk or are yourself feeling already vulnerable to risk. And so the idea of taking on racial justice and the incessant nature with which black people are under the thumb of, of the society and the unique uh, conundrum that we are in is overwhelming for all of us. And so it's easy to say, that's not my problem. I'm just trying to stay here and get mine. Stay in my lane, stay in my lane. Mm -hmm. And that that's a survival strategy, Mm -hmm. often Mm -hmm. for people who have been coming from refugee situations or coming from situations of extreme poverty and seeing, orienting toward white people and white people as having power and white people as having Mm -hmm. resource is the way we orient in order to try to get ahead or get a piece of the American dream or, mm-hmm. or come up with financial stability. Um, and so then it becomes an easy thing to sort of, you know, to not look, to not see, to not say. So Manque, I agree with what you're saying and, and I would take it one step further. There's a saying that goes like this, every system is intrinsically designed to render the results it's intended to get. Yep. That's the system here in the U.S., the That's dominant right. culture. It's intended to divide and, col- and conquer. It's intended for us to fight among each other. Certainly. And against each other and fight for a slice of the pie instead of the full pie. And in a previous employment that, that I had, I tried to launch what I called an equity initiative. And, and we weren't able to do so for a variety of reasons. Uh, probably five years ago. Uh, but my vision there was, forget that slice of the pie, we're coming in for the whole pie, right? Uh, and redefine the narrative and redefine our mindsets because we are, our BIPOC communities have one thing in common that is just foundational to who we are from where we come from, including indigenous folks here, right? Where we stand Today, we are collectivists by nature, and and our mindsets are consistent with that, right? We're tribal, we have clans. I mean, we are collectivists. And it's not until we start looking at the U.S. culture, which is individualistic in nature, that we then are disrupted by our thinking, our values, our practices. And you're exactly right. Then our mindset shifts to see how do we then adapt to this dominant individualist culture and try to get ahead? And there's a falsity in that, of course, because we we know that historically speaking, the U.S. has has um, prided itself on meritocracy. But when you think about it, that's false because it is not based on meritocracy, right? Uh, if it were, we would. We would not, it would not take 400 plus years folks for enslaved folks to get ahead, right? Why are we still seeing the first in this or that happen in the year 2021? It is intrinsically designed to keep us at a subservient level. And so it's not until we begin to act in solidarity that folks in the dominant culture will start getting really nervous. And, and they will then begin to institute and implement systems to further divide us because it, that's in their best interest to maintain the system the way it's been designed and to keep us from coming in and trying to then be a part of and, and, and have a similar stake in power. I, when we last talked about this <laughs> six years ago, I remember saying, um, you know, a lot of times in the Asian community, we're trying to get by. We're just we're just living. Everybody, you know, was told about this American dream. My parents were always like, don't get involved in, you know, social justice movements. Just go to school, get a job, you know, have a family and just, you know, don't associate with that kind of stuff because it brings controversy, et cetera. And now it's it's a lot different. Um with everything that's been happening, I've been seeing, you know, elders and, and folks that have never really been active in community organizing, really jumping in. Um, but I see a, a lot of fear. I myself haven't, I don't go anywhere very much anymore. Um, 
We suggested to my parents who like to go for walks, especially as the weather is getting nicer, to take the dog with them that they don't like but lives with them because my brother lives with them. Um, you know, and just trying to find different ways. It's 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 hard because, you know, when we try to talk about it, we will often get pushback from folks in black community to say things like, well, you guys aren't there for us when we're getting killed. Why should we stand up for you? Um, or, you know, the the things that have been happening a lot here on the east side of elders and people and kids at bus stops. A friend of mine, her daughter was at the bus stop and a car pulled up and, and a black woman um, gave her the finger and then said, I'm sorry, man, but th they've been killing us a lot longer and drove off. And now, you know, she's scared. I mean, she was at the bus stop. She was on her, her way to school. And so then they start thinking, you know, is there really, um, should we not be supporting each other? And that this is how white supremacy pulls us apart, right? Is it they, when the Hmong immigrants first got here and we were, we were put in the hood, we were automatically pinned against the, the black folks in the hood, right? And so this ongoing, you know, anti-Asian and anti-black has been going on for a long time. And it isn't new. And it's something that we we need to address right now, especially with the increase in crime that's been happening towards especially our Asian elders, which is like, you know, the vulnerable, right? The children, the children at the bus stop, the elders are the ones that are, that easy targets. Like Don said, a 38-year-old guy beating up on a 68-year-old woman, like, why? Monkway, one of the things that you 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 spoke of to please to plead to your point, um, you know, reminds me of the conversation that I observed my uncles having after Rodney King, when the riots were happening, and there was this animosity between, uh, in particular, some of the Korean store owners that they had encountered, and some of the same language that was used then is being used now. Um, and one of the things that one of my uncles talked about was the fact that when there is this, when we have these moments of serious um, public in particular, racial, um, racialized trauma um, that we also see behind it the the exposure in a big way of these of these um, of what you just described, Lee. Right, this internalization that Monkwe you you kind of talked about. We hurt people, hurt people. That 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 space. Um, you know, I want I want to add to the nuance of that since you brought you brought you brought that piece up. One of the nuanced things for me is is both the internalization of that hurt, right? So I'm going to inflict on others the damage that I have on me uh, and, the, and, and an abuse, but also um, conversations like, well, you know, I'm there in in words of solidarity for Asian brothers and sisters, but I'm so, I'm so consumed with staying afloat in my own racialized traumatic experience that it's not going to go much beyond words. I just think about the compare, I, I think about um, the, the, rally for Asian lives at the Capitol, that, that there are these moments where we can stand, we can draw and marshal our power to, 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 you know, I just think about wanting to organize something. We've got folks who've had boots on the ground for black lives that have some organizing skill that we can share. We have knowledge to share. We have ways to do it. And the way that Monkway, you also brought out the solidarity movements, when I think about Again, my uncles, my family members, my grandfather, who was a panther in the in the West Coast, um, you know, had a whole lot of Asian friends in the Yellow Power movement that they would coalesce with, and and would talk about it. He wishes we could do more of that, and that was history I never even knew until we were at a dinner table one time, and he's like, "Oh yeah, by the way, um, there were these Asian women that that worked with them when they were feeding, when they were working on the free food programs." In Oakland, like it, it. I would have never known if he didn't just happen to bring that up because I was, I hadn't gotten that anywhere else. And so I'm just curious about, you know, if we're going to think about solidarity, a piece of that is thinking about how we share in our knowledge and our resource and our wisdom and all of those things. And 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 what are the examples that I can draw to um, where that's happened in the past? In the same way that I can draw to other patterns that are Af that are black specific. I'm just curious for y'all where you've seen that happen. I mean, the people that I know have primarily been Asian people who have jumped into the black mm. solidarity struggles or black and indigenous solidarity struggles. So 
people like Yuri Kochiyama, people like Grace Lee Boggs, who has the whole mm. Boggs Center. Um, you know, there's a Chinese woman who's married James Boggs, an African, a black um, activist, uh, both of them activists and thought leaders in terms of how we progress the whole of society. But understanding that without uh, addressing, particularly on this land, the um, invisibilization and genocide of indigenous people, as well as the continued enslavement and exploitation um, and expulsion of, of black people um, uh, and, and people who are in industries that were identified primarily with black people initially, but now are you know, new immigrant people, um, undocumented uh, folks as well, and the continual exploitation that goes on with the parts of our industries and our societies that were oriented originally toward Black people, but now have been, um, now are, are there are other folks who are uh, in that, uh, in those positions. Um, I think so I think we have to also, when we ask people not to just speak, but to show up, it's crucial that we don't avoid the tensions between our communities, um, as well as not taking an individual's actions as the example of what everyone is ready and willing to do. Um, they are, I feel like, so their outbursts of what is underlying tension, certainly. But I do feel like it's important for us to talk about how Black and Asian people or how Black and Native people have treated each other and deal with the gritty, you know, and not necessarily making Blackness the hub either, but just the ways in which the tension has and the, the, the hard things um, that we've done to each other because the more that we can actually uncover the hard histories and talk about what is a change, you know, what's underneath them and how we transform those. I think the more sturdiness we have and the more reality we have for folks who are like, yeah, whatever y'all are saying that over there in the, in the schools or y'all are saying that over there with the activists, but everyday folks are still like this. So, and, and, and then we can point to more examples like the ones that you're asking for, I think, Anthony. Part of this is also the education, mm. right? Educating within our communities and outside our communities about the things that we have done together in the past that, you know, our, our freedom, et cetera, is, is reliant on each other. With respect to working in solidarity and sharing resources, I mean, too often the dominant culture also indoctrinates us to have this deficit-based assessment of who others are, right? So uh, black folks can't help me, you know? Uh, they don't have anything to, to give me or anything to share. Any, you know, the, the media is relentless in showing the deficits in our community. And what we need to do is flip that community you know, narrative and understand the richness that each one of our communities in the indigenous community, in the black community, Latinx, immigrant communities, Asian communities all have inherently, right? And then be able then to share that and educate folks and share that knowledge and start leveraging the power that we do have and the strengths and the assets that we do have. Yes, we have higher number of low-income household, but you know what? We have plenty of brain power. We have strategic minds. You know, we have values that really cut across. I mean, just for instance, elders. I mean, and we had a, a segment on this a number of weeks ago where we had that common thread with all of our uh, identities in, in how we revere elders. And so really just looking at the commonalities that we have, the shared values that we have, and looking at it from an asset-based approach, I think would be so valuable. And it really, it's about empowerment, right? It's about us empowering each other to be the best that we can be strategically so that we can enter that space and get access to the full pie. 
as you guys were talking, uh, I'm th- I was uh, thinking about, I guess, messages or discussions I've seen on my social media feed. But this is and how how difficult it is to unravel this stuff. So recently, I've been seeing discussions, um, uh, kind of coming from folks, you, you know, in, in 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 our in our indigenous cultures. I'm Ojibwe, so there's a lot of discussions about decolonization, right? Taking, getting back our language, getting back our values, getting back our our way of life. And there's messaging that kind of comes along with that, right? And so I was watching these <laughs> messages last week where individuals were encouraging our youth to stop using language that they've adopted from the Black community, right? So terms, you know, you're not a gangster, you're not this, you're, you know, th- that this kind of cultural um thing that I you know that that happens I think across cultures where and but it falls in that area that becomes so delicate that that um yeah it's an attempt to identify as indigenous as native as Ojibwe as Anishinaabe but in that decoupling is where it gets, it can get very intricate and it can get very um, minute in terms of the type of messaging that comes along with that. Does that make, are you guys understanding what I'm saying? And, and so it, it, while I understand the emphasis to reclaim your pride in who you are, is it at the expense? And 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 even though it's not directed toward that, when we try to uncouple these things, when I think about that history, um, you know, even in, I've shared before, even in my story, my mother shared with us that, that when she fell in love with my father, who's African-American from Des Moines, Iowa, and she had just moved down from the reservation to the Twin Cities and, and met my father, um, her aunt was dispatched from the reservation and sent to the city and brought her back to the reservation. Three times that happened before they allowed her to, finally they said, oh, okay, she must be in love, right? And and then, and then stepped up, but three times Someone was dispatched to bring her back up, and and you know that that's a clear message, right? I mean, I've shared where when I was younger, growing up, and we would go on a reservation, I would be called nigger, and so you know this having to heal is I think is is integral in 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 terms of uh, the hub and spoke that we've talked about, right? The fact that that in our conversations that we we always tend to have with the dominant culture, you know, we kind of stay in our lanes, and it's time for us to break those lanes. And, you know, the the you talked about the hurt and pain. You know, I've been sober thirty two years, and um, thirty two years ago, I had two emotions: pain, right, because of the trauma that we feel and and experience in this country as individuals of color and Native Americans. And that pain quickly turned to anger. And so there were two things, pain and anger. I didn't know anything else. And prior to me sobering up, I often expressed that anger bilaterally, right? It wasn't, and, and sometimes it was internal. It was internal because I was abusing drugs and alcohol. So it was internal to the point I was harming myself. But a lot of that anger was bilateral and it went out. And, and I think that, you know, we, that is, uh, and we're seeing that play out 
You know, we're seeing that play out. And so there's a lot of healing that we need to do. You know, one of the things, as so my undergraduate work was in ethnic studies, and I'm working closely um, in, in graduated from Metro State. <laughs> Shout out for you, Don. Um, but one of the things I was introduced to there from Aureliano de Soto, who's my favorite professor of all time, and he's the head of the ethnic studies department, was the poem in La Quetch. Um, and and it is um, it, it comes from a Mayan word where there's you know folks are arguing about the etymology, but the poem itself um, by John Piazza um, is starts off in most ethnic studies courses, particularly in Arizona, um, and it says, "You are my other me. If I do harm to you, I do harm to myself." Um, you know, and the, the poem goes on beyond there, so you, you know folks can look it up. But it's this idea that look. If I do harm or I see harm to one marginalized community, we aren't devoid. We aren't divorced from that. that there's, there's a ripple effect back to us regardless of what happens. And the same goes for our joint, um, you know, success. And so, you know, for me, or at least should. And so for me, there's this idea that, you know, if, if there is harm in Asian communities, right, even and especially if we are perpetrating that harm, um, we may, in one arm, in one space, may try to feel good about ourselves or some vindication or something like that. But that doesn't that doesn't help you, all right. What it does is it normalizes a type of abuse that still comes back onto us. Um, you know, whether you are you can see it physically right away or not. And I think this is an important thing that you brought forward, Monque, in 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 that you know we're we're bound together in that. And so if there is harm in Asian communities and that harm is allowed to be to to stand for, and we don't we don't address and stand in solidarity against that, um, that is not just you know a good human thing to do for folks you know who we should be connecting and connecting to. But it also is 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 linked to what gets normalized back on us. So so you know, and and, and there's that phrase, you know, our 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 liberation is bound, to, you know, together. Our 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 oppression is bound together at this as well. And so we need to be, we need we need to understand that if I do harm to you, I'm harming myself because it, 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 and it's the same thing with inter or intra racial. Um, you know, things, if I am in perpetuating racially systemic things, I can absolutely do that. But the net harm isn't a benefit for, for, you know, the net outcome is still a supremacy that put whites at, just puts white at the top and black at the bottom. So as we talk about this, I feel like I'm like, yes, of course, of course. So how do we reach the folks who aren't seeing that? I mean, are, are we sitting here preaching to the choir right now, right? I think it's really good if we encourage people to try to identify whose image of the other are we receiving or are we continuing, right? That's good. That's good. Um, very. This is this is definitely in tandem with what Luz Maria was saying, which is if we only see from you know the the from white eyes, see the Latinx community from the white standpoint, if we see the black community from the white standpoint, if we see Asian communities, if we see, see indigenous communities, native communities from the white standpoint, and we, we take that, those stereotypes or those judgments on, but they're not actually from the people who are living the, those communities, living in those lives, then we are continuing to perpetuate that violence. We need to be making relationships and be curious and make, be looking to build authentic relationships with people and be able to sort of pause ourselves when we start to reify those messages that we get about somebody else because those, you know, another version of those messages is being told about us. And so that's a place where I feel like we can put in those things in tandem and question, even if we think about the things like poverty. Uh, my understanding, there's a, a Chilean economist, a late Chilean economist um, named Manfred Max Neef, who talks about poverties, right? So instead of just looking at a community and, and assessing what its strength by the money that it makes or bring in, but we don't see the social fabric, um, the cultural uh, uh, solidity 
uh, of what's happening in in the community, as you said, the elders, um, then we also continue with the idea of this this community can be disrupted, it can be moved for their own good without seeing sort of the mycelium, the 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 support networks, the patterns that they've that people are doing and working so hard and have so much ability to to be alive and to survive and to have love and joy with each other in their lives that we end up doing the same thing and perpetuating more violence on people. Mankwe, I'm so glad you, you said that. Um, the thought that comes to my mind, you know, when you're you're speaking along those lines is we need to invite people to unlearn what they have been taught through the media and and white history, basically, right? I mean, the history books have been written in a white voice with a white lens. So we need to invite our brethren and sisters and and uh, non-binary folks to unlearn those teachings. And then in the process, ask each other, ask oneself rather, what whose voice am I listening to, right? Whose voice has taught me this? Whose voice has indoctrinated, indoctrinated me in this way of thinking? And when we begin to ask those questions out loud, but also internally, the answer will come, right? And so it's a matter of unlearning, questioning ourselves, and positioning ourselves to think with a different lens. And the other thing that I, I would also say is, you know, the white culture is also in the U.S. Uh, very prevalent in the scarcity thinking, right? And indoctrinating us that there's only a little bit to give and there's only this much to give. And guess who's taking it from you, right? It's the other, the other, whether it's the immigrant, whether it's black folks, whether it's, you know, Asians coming, I mean, the other and otherizing the entire uh, segment of our society. And that's what is keeping us separated, divisive, and thinking about committing harm against others, against our own interests. But if we step back from that and invite ourselves to ask ourselves these questions, then our true selves have the opportunity to come to bear and and surface and allow us to act together and in a different way. That 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 mentality of, 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 you know, the scarcity, the scarcity is so real. Right. I mean, the scarcity itself is not real, but the idea that this that's ingrained in us, that it is real. It, it, it hurts all of our communities. I mean, you know, some of the some of the stuff I've been hearing folks say is like, well, right now is not a good time to deal with this anti-Asian thing because we're in the middle of a trial or, you know, the Chauvin trial or, you know, th- now is not a good time because we're still working for this other community right now. And it's not that we need to only focus on one community at a time. And it's not that, you know, if I'm asking you to attend an anti-Asian rally, that doesn't mean that I'm asking you to give up anything you're doing for Black Lives Matter, et cetera. And so the scarcity that's been built into our brains in this country is really what's what's hurting our communities right now, too, because it's not, you know, there is enough justice for us all, right? It's just fighting the systems to get there. When, and I totally agree with what both of you have been saying. Because often in the classroom, and I think I think Monkui, you you were able to state it so well. I tend to tell stories, and so when I'm trying to point out the impact of uh, the dominant culture that it has on us, that none of us have uh, have none of us have been void of picking up biases, right? I mean, I grew up in North Minneapolis. At a time during the 50s and 60s, and adjacent to us was Northeast Minneapolis. At that time, Northeast Minneapolis was all white. And not and it was not just all white, but it was populated by people from kind of Eastern Europe. There were a lot of Polish, Romanian, kind of Eastern Europeans there. So I grew up in the projects in North Minneapolis. And I and we grew up 
telling Polish or what we called Polak jokes, right? And it wasn't until I was older and I began to examine that and and I, you know, I use this as an example in the classroom. I begin to examine why I grew up telling and learning Polak jokes. And when I think about it, who lived next door to us? Polish individuals in Northeast Minneapolis. The two communities did not get along. There is a long history of racial animosity between that community and our community. And so... Uh, so there's a lot for us to to dismantle when we look at those type of messages. But what I was going to throw on top of that is is do we think that there's this you know one one of the one of the topics we introduce students to is this ethnic this ethnic central centralism or ethnic cultural centralism that this idea that that uh, your ethnic community is better or not necessarily better but you're proud of being who you are and in that case you know it makes you different or more unique than another ethnic community do you understand what i'm trying to say i'm not saying that that's necessarily but if we were to throw that on top of what we're already dealing with in terms of the hub and spoke, then um, how complicated does that get for us to decouple? Are you still with me? <laughs> well, it, yeah. I mean, it gets to, again, you know, this individualistic thinking of it being binary, either or, right? That the two cannot be true at the same time and that two theories or principles cannot be true at the same time. And that's why you often will hear me say, yes, and it's a both and equation, because um, I work hard to not be a binary thinker. And we've been indoctrinated again to be binary thinkers, right? Uh, because that that's one of these principles that has been uh, part of the capitalistic uh, mindset, I think, that we are not benefiting from, right? And when we think about a both-and approach, we begin to include more people. We begin to be collectivist the way we, we are wired to be, and we also then look at our worlds differently, right? There's enough space for human rights for everybody, your human right is not diminished because of my human rights. But we've been indoctrinated to think that it's an either-or situation. It's a binary situation. So again, we have to unlearn that and have ourselves recalibrate our thinking to accept that your human rights are valid, Monkwe's human rights are valid, Haley's, Anthony, everyone, right? And it's not until we get to that mindset that we will really be liberated. Right now, we are still being held back by these binary approaches that are just false. I think there's also a sense of, maybe it's just me, like hopelessness, right? Like, are we really gonna make a change? I think a lot, a lot of Asian Americans do buy into that mono-minority myth because it's, it gives them and their family an opportunity, right? That, um, you know, they're a little bit closer to the American dream. They think if they can, if they can please the white man and be as, as white as possible, because you know, some people don't even consider Asians to be people of color. And so, you know, I think, like I said, the beginning of the the first part of this discussion six years ago, everyone's trying to survive, keep your head down, you know, have a family, be happy, have a house. That's the American dream, right? Um, and so I think that there are some folks in the Asian community who buy into that model minority and say, we, we, you know, we need to be better. I think a part of that is because a lot of people just feel like there's no way to change the system. There's, there, you know, that's America. That's America. We can't change it. You know, Hilly, history proves that that thinking doesn't work. I mean, uh, we have examples in the indigenous population 
if we look at the uh, five civilized tribes uh, that were on the eastern seaboard, they bought in, believed what the colonists told them that you know what the Europeans were telling them that that uh, you know um, if they changed their savage way of life and adopted European standards, uh, these five civilized tribes attempted that. They created the language, they, they lived in towns, they, they created laws. I mean, they adopted the European way of life, even to the point where they took in slaves. They took in Africans and held them as slaves. And what did they get for that? What did they get for buying into that, what they were told, that if they adopted and assimilated in this manner, they would be more like them. And what it got them was removed, kicked off their land in the eastern seaboard and moved to Oklahoma, where many of them died along the way. So history shows us that no matter, as long as your skin color is not white, they will tell you that, but it hasn't happened yet. But but we don't know those stories, right? We don't know that history because we're not taught that. We're not talking to each other again. Right. Exactly. I want to go back to Donald, Don, what you said, and, and also to connect up with what one of the things that Luz Maria said as well, um, which is, I think this is an opening in ethnic pride and the spirit the understanding of the ethnic pride as more than just an identity, but also have, have having practices, life ways, technology, medicine knowledge, knowledge of engaging with and frameworks for thinking about the universe and thinking about our relationship with nature, our relationships with each other and those patterns, which actually are the future of this land that is now known as America and even the world. If you look at health requirement or um, health studies, first generation immigrants are, their health is not necessarily associated with how much money they have. It's only when you go to the next generation where it starts to track, track with income. So there is something that, that's, there are things that happen in our collectivist um, histories, our life ways, our ways of engaging with the earth that are not coming from this constructed capitalist, racialized capitalist model that are the foundations for the future. And I think that the ethnic pride is, uh, if we go deeper in that, to not just be about identity, uh, but to actually look into what are the things that have been lost but are not too far away because my grandmother did that and my great-grandmother did that. Or we have, or there are elders in the community who still used to do that and we dismissed them before because they weren't sophisticated. In fact, the earth cannot continue, cannot, the earth can't hold the American dream for everyone. We can't continue with the system as led by white people. This is a very finite and very, um, a very dangerous, uh, experiment. And it's actually in us being able to come together and to weave back together the life ways that actually were about being in harmony and in relationship, which doesn't mean there's no conflict and doesn't mean there's no fights and doesn't mean there's no difficulty, but actually being in relationship in a reasonable way um, with the earth, the other beings on the earth, and then with each other. The only reason why we have the Bill of Rights is because of the Iroquois Confederacy, you know? So these things are actually right under the surface that if we begin to value them. Not quite... I'm so excited to have you here because you are speaking my truth. And I was going to say earlier how every one of our communities have this connection to the earth. Yes. We are agrarian people. In addition to that, we are natural healers. We use natural medicine. Our, every one of our communities on this segment use natural healing properties mm -hmm. before we turn to pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. And we have done so for 
hundreds of years, thousands of years. And that's what is now somehow fashionable and, and you know, trending in dominant culture where those have been our roots from the very, very start, right? And if we come back to who we are as a people, collectively, we will be in an incredibly better pay, uh, place and space. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, um, we are tribal people. No offense, buts about it. You know, um, yep. this has been one heck of a discussion. I mean, uh, I think we, in six years, I think we picked right up where we left off. And, and, and it's, uh, you know, and the thing, I think this discussion, you know, we, we've, we've kind of touched on so many different themes. And there's still so much more for us to talk about and unpack. And so I'm hoping that in the future, and not six years from now, that uh, you will you will grace us with your presence and come back so we can continue this discussion. Um, and so, you know, I think that to end on that note that you were saying in terms of of this this idea of collectivism versus individualism, you know, there's differences in philosophies. I think there's ongoing work that all our communities have to do in terms of decolonizing ourselves, you know, shaking loose those shackles, shaking loose the things they taught us in school that screwed us up and, and, and this need to kind of cleanse ourselves so that we can move forward whole and holistically again as um, among ourselves so that we can have these conversations. We can break down those barriers. I'm Don Eubanks, Associate Professor of Social Work at Metropolitan State University and Cultural Consultant. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General for the State of Minnesota. Any comments and uh, viewpoints that I've shared today and always are attributed just to myself and not to be attributed to my office. Anthony Galloway, Executive Director of the Arts Us Center for the African Diaspora and Senior Partner at Dendros. And I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group. And our guest? Yeah, Manko Indosi, um, artist, facilitator, culture worker um, based in South Minneapolis. Thank you for having me here. This program is a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the Other Media Group, and Amphers, diverse radio for Minnesota communities with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.